Hello and welcome to Camera Eats First. My name is Devin. And I'm Catherine. And together we are two market girls. We run a vegan YouTube channel and a blog. And this is our podcast where we talk about things like veganism, how we make our recipes, how we run our blog, and we keep you up to date on trending news topics in the vegan world. On this episode, we're going to be revisiting kind of a uh, controversial or or a very polarizing opinion when it comes to recipes on the internet. So, Catherine, this is a this is an ongoing debate that every it feels like every few months we see it come back up again where people are complaining about oh, the stories before the recipes. Why don't you just post the recipe? I don't want to have to scroll to the recipe. And yeah. uh, it inspired you to want to kind of explore what really goes into all that you see on a recipe post and why it's kind of unfair to the creators to just kind of blatantly disregard their work. Yeah. First of all, before we even get into the work that goes into it, it's free content. And it's not your content. <laughs> like, it's free content and it's somebody else's content to do whatever they want with. If you don't enjoy it, you just go to the next person who is offering free content. First and foremost, that's, like, the one, the major thing that, like, bothers me about when I see people talking about how, oh, I hate that I have to scroll down, I hate that I have to do this, you know? I don't care about the first time your husband ate this or whatever. And I'm like, cool, you don't have to care about it. But you don't need to complain about it either. I think one of the biggest problems, I keep seeing this stuff pop up, like you said, every couple of months on Instagram or like on Twitter, people just, it becomes hot topic again because someone shares a meme about it or something like that. And I think one of the disconnects is that I don't think people really understand how much work goes into a single recipe on the internet because you see that and you don't really, un like, you could never understand until you actually start doing it. I didn't understand before either, actually, how much work goes into it, because it's not just creating a recipe, writing it, and putting it online. Like, that is, like, the bare minimum of it, and I guarantee you there's, like, no food blogger that just does that. So, I thought it, like, inspired a, let's talk about, at least for us, what food bloggers actually do. All the nitty-gritty of how to get one recipe turned into a blog post or a YouTube video or whatever. Yeah, because I think you're right. When people don't actually participate in that creative process, they don't really understand. I mean, if you go to a bookstore, you can see how expensive a cookbook is, mm -hmm. right? And for some reason, you just assume like, oh, yeah, this is a lot of work went into this. This it, It's understandable that this would cost a lot of money. But that you don't think that on the internet, I guess, because anybody could post a recipe. But I think when you come to a recipe that is in a it looks good like it has good photos mm -hmm. you know there's clear instructions i think there should be an understanding that a lot of work went into that you can't just turn that out overnight so it should be considered equivalent to what goes into a cookbook even though they're not exactly the same but i feel like if you kind of frame your mind that way it's a good starting point yeah and i do think there's like this disconnect between because like there are a decent number of food bloggers that are would now be considered like influencers like they themselves like they have cookbooks now and they have all these different things coming out so people just kind of assume you're a food blogger you make a lot of money but like most if not almost all food bloggers even if they're making like their sole living off of this it's not that much <laughs> yeah <laughs> like they're not like these millionaires living in these fancy houses who have like brand deals all the time and are so sought after and all like that's just not really how food blogging works it can be a pretty lucrative business but it's hard to get there yeah and I think the other thing that we sometimes can forget is that there's also a level of like instability about that income as well because your work I mean, if you have a blog, then you have a little bit more security because you own that platform, right? Mm -hmm. But if you are just a food blogger influencer on Instagram, you are kind of at whatever Instagram does, you have to follow. You have to make sure you're keeping up with them. If they disappear mm -hmm. tomorrow, there goes everything. There is a level of instability. And even anybody who posts anything online, it can feel like tangibly owning your work can feel difficult because it can mm -hmm. so easily be stolen, right? Like one of the things I saw being discussed on Twitter this week when it came to this whole, why is there a story above a recipe, was the idea that, and I didn't actually realize this, but 
under U.S. law, you can't copyright a recipe, Mm -hmm. like the actual ingredients and like quantities and stuff. You can't copyright that. But you could, if you wanted to have something that you own, you can copyright like the story and the photos that go with it. So just that idea that you can't actually own this thing that you are putting out on the internet Mm -hmm. for free is kind of uh disheartening but i mean it's not going to stop us from doing it right but it's just something to consider yeah i will say like i'm sure there's some people out there but most food bloggers out there aren't doing it for money because it's really hard industry to make a living in as people who've been doing this for four years we can attest to that (laughs) (laughs) um so for the most part, people who are putting recipes and things like that online aren't doing it to become rich. They're doing it because they thoroughly enjoy sharing food with people. And this is like a great way to do it. So yeah, so I wanted to kind of like break down, at least for us, what goes into creating a Two Market Girls recipe. And I was like looking through, I was like making like a kind of bigger bullet points of like what's the order of things, how do things work, all that kind of stuff. Just so I had some, like, talking points and it was, I didn't forget anything. It kind of, for me, broke down into, like, 13 different parts, which sounds like a lot because it is a lot. Mm-hmm. Um, so first and foremost, it's always, like, research is the first thing. Planning, research, figuring out what you want to make, which is more difficult than you think. So when you say research, what are you looking up exactly? So when it comes to trying to figure out a recipe for, let's say, March, just pick a random month, trying to fill out our content calendar, figure out what recipes we want to make, you have to do some research basically in what's popular in March. Like, because you don't want to (laughs) create, like, you're not going to create a Christmas recipe in the middle of March. That just doesn't make sense because no one will read it and all your hours and hours of free work will have been for nothing. Yeah. Um, So you have to do a little bit of research on the season, what kind of things people are searching for, what kind of things, are there any like holidays or are there any like big days that would surround a food conversation, basically. So that kind of stuff is a part of research. Um, What's in season could also be a part of research. Seasonality and what's available to people in certain areas is also a big factor in what people cook. I mean, would you consider looking back and looking forward in your own content to kind of, is is that research too? Just seeing like, okay, what have we done? What do we maybe already have penciled in in the future? So what, how does that like impact what we plan now kind of idea? Yeah. So at least for us, I try and make our content pretty like more on the savory side with some desserts. So sometimes I like look back in the last couple months and see what I've made and be like, oh, I've made a lot of desserts. Maybe I should make something savory. Or I look back and see what's really popular on our blog and when it was really popular. Like we have a, most food bloggers like will make a bunch of recipes, but there's usually only a handful of recipes that are like their holy grail of recipes that bring in traffic. I look back at those ones and see if either there's recipes we can improve or there's recipes we can create like new versions of because they're super popular. So one of the examples of that is we did like a sushi, a month of sushi recipes. And that was like really popular on, or no, a Chinese recipe, sorry. And that was really popular on our channel. So it's like, let's do it again with sushi recipes because apparently people really liked this. And it also did really well. And I think I did that in the exact same month. So I think it was actually March, which funnily enough. (laughs) Um, We did like a full takeout series for Chinese food and then we decided to do it for sushi because it did well. So why not give people what they want? Um, So you kind of look at what your readers are looking for, what people in general are searching for, because you're always looking for more readers or viewers as well. Um, And trying to find that balance of what makes sense for the season, what makes sense for your readers, but what will also bring in new people. Yeah. And I think I like that approach that you are focusing more on an audience that you understand to a certain extent because I feel like there is a phase for a lot of food bloggers and for us as well where it would be okay what are the hashtags this month what hashtag national (laughs) food day should we cater to but that doesn't actually give you the return that you think it does it's just a weird thing that I don't know who companies decide Yeah. Yeah. It really does not give you the return at all. It gives you like maybe a good performing Instagram post on the day, but that's about it. Like it doesn't actually bring readers to your blog or viewers to your YouTube channel. 
Okay, so after you've done this research phase, what's next? Basically, I decide on at least an area or a theme or a recipe. Like, it could be an exact recipe I've decided on, or it's like an area, like, I want to make something for this, or I want to make something with noodles or whatever it is. Um, And then the recipe testing kind of begins, and it's partly also still research because you have to... Like, if it's something I've never made before, I want to do a bunch of research to make sure I'm making it correctly and not just, like, butchering this dish that isn't (laughs) my own. Um, Or even, like, I just kind of want to see what's out there and see if I can make something different and see if I can offer it in a different way. Because, like we said, there are a lot of food bloggers out there and there are a lot, like, you can get a recipe for spaghetti bolognese a million times on the internet. So how do you make it different? (laughs) How do you make it more unique? How do you... But still making it delicious, obviously. So there's a lot of research that goes into that. What's out there? What's popular? What's not popular? What can I do differently than other people to stand out? Because there's so much noise. Oh, my goodness. I feel like that is maybe one of the most overwhelming parts. Anytime I have to make a recipe for a challenge video, there's this like, I want to call it almost like imposter syndrome, where it's like, so many of these already exist. There's no way I can do it better or as good. So what am I even doing? Where's the buffalo sauce? Yeah. And honestly, some recipes, I honestly just deter, like that actually happens where I'm like, you know what? I actually don't think I can do anything better here. I'm not going to do this recipe anymore. And I change it. So that has happened before because I was like, or like I'll have tested it once and be like, this doesn't really like I'm not this isn't working out. I'm just going to have to scrap this one and leave it to the people who know how to do this better and try something else. Yeah, there's nothing wrong with that. It can be disheartening, but it, again, like you said, it already there's lots of them out there. If it doesn't jive with me, that's okay. Exactly. Um, so the recipe testing can be, it can be long, but it also can be very short sometimes. So like I find the research part to honestly be the longest part and the most intense part because you want to make sure, like not only do you just research and you don't just pick the first result because like that's not always the most accurate result or whatever. So you have to really like dive deep and try and find trusted resources when you're learning about a cuisine or a recipe or an ingredient or whatever it is and how to cook it and how to work with it. Um, So the research part of recipe testing, I think is an underestimated part for people. Like they don't realize that's also a part of testing a recipe. Yeah, seriously. It's not just like randomly, what should I make? What do I have? That's what goes into like a casual Instagram story. Yeah. Um, So yeah, and then you actually get into testing the recipe. Honestly, sometimes recipes take one try. Sometimes recipes take a million tries. (laughs) Hey, see our cookie, chocolate chunk cookie recipe that took like two (laughs) years. I was just going to say like, what is usually a recipe? What makes a recipe take longer to test? Uh, Well, baking always takes a little longer because it's baking. Like, you can do one little thing wrong and the recipe can be disgusting. So baking baking takes some time to get right. Um, But luckily, like for us, for cookies, like we got the chocolate chunk cookie. It took a really long time. It took a couple years to develop. But now I use that recipe as the basis for a lot of our cookie recipes. And it makes testing cookie recipes much easier now because I have that trusted like go-to dough that really works. Mm -hmm. it's like you built the cookie foundation that you will build upon (laughs) yeah yeah (laughs) but yeah to me for me at least it's always baking that takes the most because like texture is such a big deal you don't want it to be too crumbly or too dry or too moist or whatever it is so like there's a lot of things that can go wrong in baking yeah and like you said the it's the baking time and the temperature and you don't know that until you've already like put it all together and it goes in the oven and you're sitting there waiting so to that testing phase there's a lot of time involved not to mention like the ingredients and the cost of getting all the ingredients but it's just like you you fully cannot rush it because you're at the mercy of the oven (laughs) yeah and like I don't know like neither of us have necessarily like families with kids like we don't have kids or anything like that so going through and eating all these recipes we've tested takes a long time (laughs) like I don't want to just like make eight dozen cookies in one go until I get it right because then I have eight dozen cookies sitting in my kitchen (laughs) yeah really 
another thing when you start talking about the testing and we mentioned a little bit is just like the cost that goes into that so we're only on like the second stage the research doesn't cost you anything right as long as you have an internet connection yeah just your time but the testing phase it can get expensive depending on the recipe and how many times you have to test it yeah exactly this is where like for recipe testing which is often why we go to recipes that we know pretty well and that we don't have to test like a million times because we both have just like we have full-time jobs but we're at the early stages of both of our careers so we're not making a lot of money in our full-time jobs we don't necessarily have a lot of extra income that doesn't go towards our normal amounts of food that we have to eat are we have to purchase our Adobe account. We have to do all this stuff. Like there's a lot of extra things. So we don't have that much money to spend on recipe testing and going to the grocery store all the time and getting these specialty ingredients that we might never use again. So that's what often why we go to a lot of recipes that we know well already or that we eat in our day-to-day lives. Mm-hmm. And I don't think that there should be anything wrong with that. Like when you mention specialty ingredients, sometimes I feel bad about not purchasing those ones where it's like oh this would be so good in like a couple of these recipes but I can't really justify buying the quantity that it comes in because it's just it costs too much or I'm worried it's not going to get used and you just kind of have to accept that those you can't make everything right now yeah exactly which is why so something to note this again doesn't go into necessarily the um, workload of a food blogger but know that if you replace a recipe it's not the food blogger's fault if the recipe goes wrong i encourage people to change up the recipe i do and i think it's fun get creative in the kitchen but please don't leave mean comments if the recipe doesn't turn out and you changed it (laughs) like there's a reason they tell you to make things a certain way and it's because they've spent a lot of time testing it exactly and we do that in when we try recipes all the time we make little minor adjustments but we always acknowledge that we did make this change. It's not exact to the way it was written. So if it tastes different, we know that's on us. Yes. Um, So after testing, which is like a very good chunk of time and money, most of I would say our monetary investment goes towards testing the recipe probably. Like the rest is probably just time investment other than our Adobe memberships because those can be expensive (laughs) next up would be and it's pretty quick step it's just scheduling the actual recipe in like you kind of do that in the research and the testing process but now it's like nope this is firmed in this is when we're filming it getting all that timing done making sure since we're also cooking apart now making sure Devin has the recipe in time to pick up the ingredients she needs and I have the recipe and all that stuff everything's all sorted out um That's kind of like the scheduling of when we're going to shoot things, when we're going to film things, when is it going live, all that kind of stuff. Yeah, and the I guess the interesting thing to consider with the fact that we are doing all this apart now is that it's technically costing us a little bit more because I'm now buying and making the recipe as well, whereas we used to just be able to eat it together. So there's that added level of complexity to, but on the other hand, the recipes are getting tested by someone who knows them really well and someone who's like, oh, what, uh, what are we making this week? All right, <laughs> up. I'm going to figure this out. Exactly. So. But yeah, there is an added cost. And also now we have money more leftovers. Normally we split what's left over. Devin would take some home with her. Oh my God. And leftovers are hard to get through, especially when yeah. you're, jo- you're like the thing that we do on the side is making recipes I am constantly making more recipes so I have so much food in my house (laughs) (laughs) um okay but like the next section is actually like shooting the recipe so that's filming that's photographing that's doing all the stuff that you guys see those visual components whether it's a YouTube video obviously we have an extra step not every food blogger does YouTube videos or does videos in general um but a lot of them are actually getting into videos now so this is pretty Like a lot of it is kind of across the board. That's at some point they're either making videos even just for socials, not necessarily for YouTube or their blog posts or whatever, but basically it's shooting the recipe and that can also take a lot of time. Oh yeah, because I mean, there's rare times where you will film it and photograph it separately, but a lot of times you're doing it all in one go, right? And that is a huge, like doing it together was exhausting sometimes. So now you are filming and photographing all of the food. That is a huge chunk of time and energy. Yeah, no, it's it's one of the things that like I used to and 
you may notice but um so like now that i'm filming them and um photographing them and cooking them all at the same time i don't have devin to because like it's so much easier to have two people and have someone literally just follow you around as you cook you don't have to think about anything you just cook or you have two minds to figure out what's the best angle what's this what's this um I have been like I used to try and put so much energy into both like rolling something out stopping changing the angle doing this and it's just like you can't like I honestly don't know how people who do this alone do it because like especially when it's not their full-time job because like it is so much work yeah and I and I know that it is a lot of work and so I recognize like the other thing that goes through my mind when I'm editing your footage and it is one take I think well people don't need to see all of these angles right as long as they've got like one good shot to see how it's done I also kind of consider that enough sometimes so like I for both of us I think taking that just little bit of pressure off can kind of help yeah but I know we still miss doing it the way we used to yeah honestly like I loved our videos the way we, we were doing them honestly because we could do them that way like it was much easier to do it with two people but right now it just makes sense the way we're doing it because or, or else it would have it would take so much longer but yeah so it's the filming the photos Devin also cooks the recipes on the day that I film so that when we get together to do like the intros and outros we both have the food to taste or else Devin would just be standing there <laughs> Catherine, tell me everything you're tasting right now. I need you to describe it very detailed as if I am tasting it. Yeah. Um, so, yeah. So, filming goes into it, the photography. And, like, typically we do, like, two recipes in a shoot day, roughly. And that, like, I'll start around 10-ish a.m. And that usually takes to, like, three or four, maybe three-ish on average. Yeah, it depends. I think some days we get it down to like two. It depends how long the recipe yeah. is really, but it is a few hours at least. Yeah. So it's it's a lot of time. Like it's a full, full basically working day that goes yeah. into it because I'm also not in the middle taking lunch break or yeah. taking little breaks here and there. I'm We're literally just cooking straight through and then we go to photos and then we do the voiceover um, and then we do our intro and outro and all that kind of stuff. So it it's it's a lot. It's a full working day essentially. Yeah, and because we also, not only did we get to share, like, the filming and photographing, like, all of that workload, but there's also, like, the cleanup that we could both mm. help each other with, whereas now... I miss you so much with the cleanup. <laughs> <laughs> I know, because I, and I know how much messier it can get when you're also, like, setting it up for a photo and everything, so I feel so bad that I can't be there to help more. <laughs> uh, no, it's fine, honestly. I just, like... After we're done shooting, I just look at the chaos and I'm just like, I just need to lie down for a second. <laughs> I'll clean this later. Um, but yeah, those shoot days are really, really extensive. Even when we were doing them together, like it is a lot of work. There's the cleanup. There's styling the photo. There's even to an extent, I know it's pretty basic now, but styling the video, making sure the light is coming in at the right angle so we can actually see ingredients, making sure the camera's at the right angle. I switch lens for photo and video because the photography lenses I work just don't work for video. They're not wide enough. Changing camera angles takes time. Ch placing the tripod, and it takes up space and time, and it's a struggle. <laughs> mm -hmm. um, so, like, there's a lot of little things that goes into this that I don't think people really like it's not just setting up a camera filming it and then it's done like there's a lot of little things that take up time yeah and like you said like this isn't our full-time job this is something we do on a Saturday like yeah in our spare time and even last weekend I went through and I tried to film a bunch of stuff for our ebook just on my own just make I made three recipes but it took me all day <laughs> and by the end like I I genuinely did miss filming food videos more so I was yeah. excited to do it but by the end and sometimes throughout I was like I don't know if I'm doing this right so <laughs> even if it looks okay on camera I still need Catherine here to do the technique right yeah, no like also not even like I legit like that on the video side I'm like I'm doing all this and I have no idea if Devin's gonna get the footage and be like this is terrible <laughs> redo it all this is no one can see what's happening <laughs> oh my god I would never but you always make sure that people can see what what's happening so yeah it's, it's I, I try fine. my best to do that at least <laughs> um and then 
there's the photo aspect. So after we shoot the recipe, I do the food photography, which we've done like a video on that before, which you can go back to and check and see a little bit more detail on what goes into that kind of process. Um, but that takes a lot longer than I think people realize. Again, it's not just setting a bowl on a table and taking a photo of it or a plate or whatever it is. It's making sure the colors work. It's making sure the backdrops work. It's the getting the light the right way. It's styling the actual food item. It's the props in the background. It's changing angles. Like sometimes I'll set it up to do an overhead shot and then that angle doesn't really work for a side shot. So you have to change the whole setup. Um, and then I'm also doing that and filming those end, which I always forget about. Always. I feel so <laughs> bad. I did it the other day with one of the January recipes. I was like, I t tore it all down and moved on to the next one. I was like, oh my God, I didn't film any video. No. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, so there's a lot of little things that goes into that, like picking, making sure we're getting textures right and colors right and going through like I have a bunch of different linen that we use and a bunch of different cutlery that we use and different plates and bowls and props. And there's a lot of thought that goes into a single image. And like all of that can be made much more complicated or slightly more simple depending on what kind of dish it is, right? Like mm -hmm. can it sit out or will it not look as good? So do I need to set everything up and then serve and then photograph as quickly as possible? Like all of those little intricacies matter so much. And especially with you when you're doing the photo and the video, it's like, well, which one if I, I do the photo first, then do I need a whole second one just for the video sometimes? You know what yeah. I mean? Well, that was actually, so like that also sometimes determines which order I film things in too. Like this talking about, can something sit out? Or like sometimes a very easy example of this is like marshmallows, toasted marshmallows. When they sit out, they get all flat and wrinkly and it's kind <laughs> of funny looking. It's it's It can be hard to avoid because it happens very quickly. Um, but like, it's one of those things that you want to try and avoid. So you take photos really, really quickly when you have stuff with marshmallows or ice cream or things like that. Um, so, but like the example that we did yesterday, basically, um, I, we were doing, uh, it's a January video. So we were doing a cafe style video of a scone and a latte and the scone I could make as early as I want because it's a scone but I was like the latte I don't really know what that's going to look like sitting out so I should probably make that fresh like that should be the last thing so I had to do those two parts separately in the same video so basically I shot the scone and then I shot the other recipe that we were doing that day and then I went back to the other video and did the latte so that mm -hmm. it made sense yeah yeah, yeah. Uh, so there's a lot of little planning and things you have to think about when it comes to food styling, because like you said, sometimes when things sit longer, they don't look as good as when they're fresh or sometimes they look better if they sit longer because you won't have like, like for me, I used to shoot soups warm and then I was like, wait, what am I doing? A soup is just a soup for the most part. <laughs> I was like, but now I'm like getting really annoyed with the steam and it's fogging up the camera and sometimes steam can look good. Sometimes you can use it to your advantage, but like sometimes you just don't need it so you can let soup sit for a little bit you're eating cold soup but that's the price of a food blogger oh yeah we're very familiar with cold recipes <laughs> yeah uh so like yeah there's a lot of little things that go into because i think like obviously i'm not gonna say it's necessarily the most important step but it's the most visible step to other people so like a good photo or a good video can make or break whether people share it or whether people enjoy the video or whether people even click on the video right so um it's it's really important to take your time and get that part right mm -hmm. and i will say whenever i have to do a photo for like if i'm doing a challenge recipe my goodness the stress <laughs> I'm always like I need Catherine here I miss all of the props and you always think that even if you have a picture in your mind of how you want it to look getting that picture out into real life and onto your camera is so so difficult so always remember that the photos you see that might look the simplest or the easiest were probably the hardest to do yeah I I would want like I 100% agree with that. Sometimes I fully plan out a photo and then I set it up and I'm like, this looks terrible. Like yeah. it looks set up. It does not look good. It doesn't look like just like someone's enjoying this bowl of soup. It looks horrible. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, I like those ones that um, look effortless are not 
accidental. Like they take a lot of time and a lot of not even just time on the day to get right, but a lot of learning and a lot of getting a lot of photos bad for the first few years to get that one that you're finally like, oh, this is what I've been trying to do. <laughs> mm-hmm. Okay, so after the shooting, the filming's all done. We've done our intro and outro together. We've collapsed on the kitchen floor <laughs> around the mess and talked to each other for an hour after. What What's the next step? Technically, it's the... I would call the editing phase. But now that things are a little different and Devin and I are in separate spaces, it's the uploading phase. (laughs) And that (laughs) has posed challenges lately. (laughs) But like that on itself, it it exists no matter what. It's like your file management stage is always overwhelming and a daunting task. Yeah, especially like Again, I don't know how most food bloggers do their stuff, but for us, we film about a month in advance. So we always have a lot of content that hasn't yet been put out there. And that content always freaks me out. I always have that content in two places. Like I upload it to where a hard drive or the drive or whatever, but I still keep it on our my memory cards because I'm just so afraid it's going to disappear. <laughs> Oh my god, I'm the same way. That's why sometimes as soon as I get footage from you, I'm like, I'm just going to edit this and get it on to, <laughs> onto the channel. Just yeah. keep it private just so that it's there. We can't lose it. Everything will be fine. Yeah. But yeah, so the file management aspect, it's basically uploading the footage that Devin needs to edit the video because I don't edit them. I just shoot them now. Send it over to Devin via our shared Google Drive. And Devin does all the editing on her side, but it's also making sure like I have my own hard drive. Devin has her own hard drive where everything's clearly labeled and organized. So it's easy to find later because that is so important. Don't just dump things anywhere. Like trying to find a file later will be the most stressful time if you haven't organized properly. Oh, yeah. Never underestimate. Sometimes file management, you just set aside one or two hours to just go through it like once a week because even me like I'll have my audio and my video from just filming an intro and outro with you and from our whatever Wednesdays so sometimes going through all those memory cards and organize everything like that time really adds up way mm-hmm. quick way quicker than you think it will yeah it's like the like random back-end admin stuff that people don't realize food bloggers also have to do yeah yeah okay so once you've got your footage figured out I've got my footage figured out then what what are we at We're editing the stuff, basically. So Devin's editing the video. I'm editing the images. Um, It's hard. Sometimes these things overlap. Like there's other things after or before this. Um, But Devin, basically, your next step is editing the video, putting it all together into what everyone sees on YouTube. What's that Mm -hmm. process like? Uh, Well, I mean, the added... Like before, it was just file management, but now I know when I sit down to start, well, I've got to download all these files. <laughs> so let's add on 30, at least 30 minutes to our work time. Um, so it's downloading all of them. It's first pulling out the instructions and making sure I cut all that up so that it's clear going through each step. And then it's going through all of the video of you actually making the recipe and figuring out what's the best take for each step. Mm-hmm. putting them all together, lining it all up with the instructions as best I can with the timing of everything. <laughs> um, and then, you know, those end shots of the final product. Then it's mixing in what music. Then it's making any color adjustments. And then it's the uh, intro and outro, which I think, I mean, those take quite a while because we've both got separate <laughs> audio that you've got to line up. Yeah, um, and we and talk sure- a lot. Yeah, making I oh my goodness! I every time I bring in the intro and outro, I'm like, okay, how long do we talk for this time? (laughs) It's a ten minute one. All right, yeah, let's settle in. (laughs) Um, But it's going through and you know cutting those down or whatever needs to be done, color adjusting any way that's needed, doing the intro animation, doing the outro end card. Um, picking a beginning clip that is our little like joke thing we say (laughs) before the video begins Um, and then intro audio like music and then finally we're ready to render and export and upload and which is a mission in itself oh yeah like yeah fully once I once I'm done actually my part I just have to leave the computer to do its part (laughs) for a couple hours and I hope it does it correctly (laughs) oh yeah oh yeah (laughs) Um, yeah, so 
there's a lot of things that go into and that's just the video editing so like for an example like i feel like an average one of our videos is anywhere from like eight to ten ish minutes a recipe Mm -hmm. how much footage do you have to go through for just a 10 minute video again obviously it depends on the recipe but yeah so it's usually at least 15 clips um if it's over 20 then i know i'm i'm in for a long haul uh but it also it will vary sometimes how long the clips are so i might see a bunch of clips but then oh there's a nice one in here that's only 30 seconds okay (laughs) but i also know like i can like skim through a clip but it's quantity of the actual clip and then how many of them there are so let's say 15 clips minimum and they're at least two minutes long you're going to be pausing and going back and picking which points like each clip takes a long time to go through yeah so like that 10 minute video could be literal like out an hour of footage or more sometimes um Mm -hmm. so like it's sometimes hard to cut it down. Like there's sometimes obvious parts where literally I'm off camera just getting an ingredient. You cut that yeah. out easily. But sometimes it's hard to know when to cut it down. And that kind of stuff takes a lot of time. It also takes experience. You know, the longer you've been doing it, the easier it gets. But there's nothing cuts out going through all of the footage because you there you don't just sometimes you can't just be like, oh, that video is probably fine. I don't need to go through that. You literally go through every single one of it. Exactly. So no matter how long a clip is, double it. And that's probably how long it takes you to go through it. Unless you've gotten like the more I get your footage, the more I can kind of um, predict things. You learn what to look for and stuff like that. And again, like you said, experience is a huge part of that. But Mm -hmm. it's still it's a significant amount of work for both of us. Yeah. So the video is a monster in itself. And that's just (laughs) literally one aspect. Then there's the image side of it, which, again, like you, depends on the recipe. Sometimes I can get really good images in, like, 30 takes. Like, I'll do 30 images, pick a handful that look pretty good. Sometimes it's literal hundreds of photos because I just couldn't figure <laughs> out if I liked the angle or if I liked this. And I was just like, you know what? I'll just take a bunch and hope there's, like, five or six that really work. Um, so, like, I have recipes that have taken, like, 25 photos and some that I've taken, like, 150 photos. Oh, so, so overwhelming. <laughs> like, the file management, the go- uploading, because, like, I upload every single one to Lightroom and then I go through in Lightroom, Lightroom and mark the ones that I think are worthy of a second look. Not necessarily an edit, but a second look. I flag them all. And then I filter it out so I only have the flagged images up. Usually that results in like 20 to 25 images that I'm like, these are pretty good. Um, And then I actually go through and then mark the ones that I'm like, okay, I have like four of the same angle. Which one or two do I think are worthy of an edit? Let's get rid of a couple of them. And I usually end up editing around 10 images total for a recipe just so we have some options. Yeah. And I think that's reasonable too. (laughs) Yes. Um, but yeah, so basically, um, again, experience comes into it as well. You find out little things, little tricks that help make the process go a little quicker, but essentially you, we have a couple of filters that we like use set made presets that I'll apply. Don't always work or sometimes need a lot of adjustments just so I can kind of get the same vibe or sometimes even like I'll apply those two filters and I'm like, neither of these look good I'm just gonna have to start from scratch I can it'll probably be quicker if I just start from scratch Mm -hmm. rather than trying to adjust this filter um so it's going through the first image always takes the longest because it's trying to figure out all the colors exactly what works what doesn't all that kind of stuff and then you like copy that to the rest of them and then do the individual adjustments within each within each photo so whether it's making a certain ingredient lighter or making sure the main dish stands out and things in the background don't adding shadows adding highlights all the little things it's it's a monster to get into and this podcast is already really long but there's a lot of little things to go into um just one image that you see on instagram Mm -hmm. after the editing stage um there's like the writing stage like and it encompasses a lot of stuff so it's writing the blog post um which again also takes a few hours to do because you're writing not only do you want to write a really useful blog post with cooking tips and tricks and things that substitutions that people can make and all that extra information you also have to make sure that works for seo which is where this comes in of why there's always a lot of stuff before a recipe it's because google doesn't care about how good your recipe is they just want to make sure you're feeding the google algorithm 
Mm-hmm. It needs to be able to pull out those keywords to know like when your recipe should be shown. So if you feed it more information, you're more likely to get your recipe found and to grow your audience and to make more money. All of these things, it's like a trickle down effect. Exactly. Um, so making sure the SEO is right, making sure it also reads well. If it's hard to read, if it's like doesn't really make sense, Google also picks up on that stuff too. So you got to make sure it reads really well, make sure the blog post still makes sense for the reader and is still useful to the reader, making sure the layout makes sense, there isn't too many images or too much text in one area, um, all the kind of little stuff. Um, and then there's also next stage would be creating the Pinterest graphics and thumbnail for the YouTube video which are more important than I think people realize um, because that is, again, the first introduction someone will have to a recipe that you created. So you want to make sure it's really enticing. So for Pinterest, I create like six different graphics for it, plus just some of the random images without any names or anything on it. So six different graphics. I just use Canva. I plug in which images work. But for Pinterest, there's an algorithm as well. It's just like Google. It's a search engine. You have to kind of give it what it wants. So each graphic has to look unique and look different, but still look like your brand, still look recognizable to two market girls. So you have to make sure... you're using different images you're using different angles you're using different colors all that kind of stuff so you create all those graphics the thumbnail is pretty much a science now I've been playing around with it to try and see if we can improve it but you pick a really nice image that you think is click worthy but also has good space to put a title in somewhere add in the title save it that's probably the least of my concerns right now (laughs) um and then there is social media scheduling so creating the instagram post creating the pinterest post which pinterest takes so much longer and is such an important tool for food bloggers like um i was looking at our analytics actually yesterday and i'm pretty sure like 75 percent of our traffic comes from pinterest so pinterest is literally the most important search engine for most most bloggers in general not even just food bloggers yeah, and I feel like so many people are still underestimating it. Like you talk about, oh, gotta schedule that Instagram post, but really the all the power is behind the Pinterest posts. And that's mm-hmm. why, you know, you do put so much attention and detail into having the multiple images and making sure you're catering to what Pinterest is gonna look for and also serve people, right? Exactly. Um, so when it goes to Instagram scheduling, so like or social media scheduling we mainly focus largely on instagram and pinterest like devin handles the twitter but it's not necessarily like we have to get a post out every sunday i also manage the facebook but i hardly ever post on the facebook for for the most part we focus on instagram and pinterest um so instagram i use a platform called later to schedule all our stuff so i schedule for the week it goes up i don't have to worry about it it's lovely um (laughs) But it can take some time to create a really cool caption and choose a photo that I think is going to work. Like sometimes, um, like we've said this before, I don't think the feed is everything making it cohesive, but you still want to make it make sense. So I'll like plug in a photo and I'll look at the feed and like, does this make sense or do I need to change this photo? And then making sure the copy makes sense, all that kind of stuff. Hashtags are in there. Link in bio is in there. All that kind of stuff. Pinterest is a whole like is a whole other beast because also something that I'm doing now is adding um, data to the uh, coding of a blog post so that when someone goes to pin an image, they get the proper pin description that we want with all of our keywords in there. Because creating Mm. a pin description is a lot like creating a blog post. You have to make sure there's keywords in your pin description so that Pinterest knows to pull it up when people search certain things. Mm -hmm. So doing that has caused a lot more work, but it's fun. It's fun, I guess. But it's a lot of work (laughs) to do Pinterest stuff. Um, And then after the Pinterest comes kind of like you're in the final stages of like schedule the YouTube video, make sure all the information's in the YouTube video, upload that thumbnail, schedule it to go live at a certain time, whenever it is. Um, And then after that, once everything goes live, it's monitoring and engaging with our audience because like it's not done once things are posted. People have questions or people just want to comment and you can't just leave them hanging. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Because you also want that engagement. And I mean, because we all have already gone through all of these steps just to get the recipe out there, sometimes it can just be like, okay, here you go, guys. 
And I always said, leave your comments. We'll be there to answer them. And I do, I try my best to be on the YouTube comments. There are weeks sometimes where if I get behind on other stuff, it's hard for me to like mentally jump into the comments. But once I get in there, I really do enjoy answering them and I try to keep up with it because it's a fun part. You know, Mm -hmm. people are finally seeing this thing that we worked so hard on and they're enjoying it. So it's, you got to like remind ourselves, even though we're tired and we're on to like the next three recipes already, this is this still needs our attention a little bit. Yeah, this blog post and this YouTube video is not done quite yet. And it's technically never done because people can comment whenever they want. Mm -hmm. Um, But I agree. Like sometimes at the end of this, you're just so exhausted. So like when a post goes live at 1 p.m. for Instagram, because I do the Instagram comments, Devin does the YouTube comments. Um, when When post goes live on like Instagram, I'm just like, I'll get to the comments later. I just can't right now. I'm so tired. So exhausted. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's some, like, I agree. Sometimes there's like weeks where they don't get answered for a few days, which sucks. I try and answer them within 24 hours if I can, um, because it also helps social media's algorithm. But um, sometimes it's hard just because you're just so tired and exhausted. Mm-hmm. But yeah, like that's kind of like the overall gist of like, again, this episode could have been hours long (laughs) we could spend so long going into the nitty-gritty of each thing i powered through that last half because i noticed we were already at like 35 minutes um there's a lot that goes into it and that's honestly just an organic post there's more that goes into it if it's a sponsored post like you have to get approvals from the company you have to get the company to send you product there's a lot of things that go into this kind of stuff um And, like, I just wanted this episode to come out just because I think food bloggers can sometimes get really down on themselves when they see people being like, I don't care about your story. I just want the recipe. And, like, I just kind of wanted this to be a reminder of how much work goes into this and how many people are doing this for free. Like, this kind of, like, for us, for example, I'm not trying to act, like, high and mighty or anything. We, our money gets made via how many, how much our ad revenue makes on YouTube. And that's basically it right now. Uh, Patron, we have some awesome patrons that support us as well. Um, And then sometimes we do sponsored posts here and there. But we don't, like, this isn't a full living. It's not even close to a full living. It it basically pays for itself at this rate. We're just doing it because we enjoy it. Yeah. And, like, there's nothing wrong with it. We'll keep doing it. We wouldn't be doing it four years and not making money from it if we didn't enjoy it. We really do love it. It's something that I think people that aren't food bloggers need to understand how much work goes into this stuff and how a comment like, I don't care about this, can really bring people's mood down when they've been working hours and hours on this blog post to make sure it works for everybody, not just the reader, but also Google, because that's how they're going to make their money. Mm-hmm. <sighs> I, I'm tired just thinking about all this stuff. <laughs> and I literally, I'm like thinking about it all. I was like, wow, that just like scratch the surface like there's so many little things yeah and just like the mental capacity that it takes up uh throughout the week even even if you're not working on it you know what i mean yeah like this doesn't even include admin stuff maintaining our website uh maintaining our youtube channel maintaining our inbox our email reaching out to brands doing all this kind of stuff like that doesn't even include the day-to-day work this is just for one single blog post. Yeah, one single type of content. We also do other types of content in between a recipe too. <laughs> right? Like we've made ebooks before. We're working on some Instagram reels possibly. Like we do a podcast. We do extra blog posts on top of recipes sometimes. So like mm-hmm. there's a lo- like that is it's our main type of content, but it's only one of the many pieces of content that we do. And this isn't our full-time job. This is what we do when work stops at 5 p.m. and on weekends. All right. Well, I hope that everyone enjoyed hearing this behind-the-scenes process. And next time you are, you know, looking for a recipe or watching a recipe video, remember to consider all the work that went into it. And when this conversation comes back up again about people complaining that a recipe is too long or even on youtube when they timestamp recipe starts at this time (laughs) that honestly makes me cringe every time i see one of those comments or like hey you guys talk too much i'm like cool don't watch our videos then 
cool skip to the recipe or just leave it's fine yeah there's like yeah we also say the recipe's linked in the description so you can always go there (laughs) yeah just remember that a lot of work does go into this and we're doing it because we enjoy it but also you know we want it to be appreciated and we know Mm -hmm. it's free content yeah like this isn't to deter you from leaving constructive criticism. If a recipe didn't work for you, tell the blogger that the recipe didn't work for you. Or if a res- ingredient was hard to find, that's always good to know, like all that kind of stuff. But just commenting things like, you talk too much, is not constructive criticism. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, so yeah, so just remember that kind of stuff. It's a lot of work. It's a lot of free work and free labor. Even if these people are making a full-time living, it's not guaranteed. Like, they don't know that the next blog post they make is going to be a hit or is going to make them a lot of money. They don't know any of this stuff, right? So just be kind. I don't don't know what else to say. Be kind. And I would also say to other creators out there who are hearing people say the stories before your recipes don't matter, they do matter. If they're important to you, share them. Write mm-hmm. as much as you want to or you need to because it's your platform. Yeah. That's why you made it to have your voice out there and to share your perspective. That all matters. So yeah. don't listen the, to the haters. The great thing is, <laughs> is that there's thousands of content creators out there. If you find content that you don't enjoy, move on to the next one. You don't need to bring somebody down and tell them their content sucks. Just move on to the next one. Find a content creator you do like. And same goes for content creators. There's millions of consumers out there. If a couple people don't like your stuff, that's fine. You will find people that really, really enjoy your stories and really enjoy the type of content that you make. Mm-hmm. Focus on the positive. Yes. All right. That's going to be it for this episode. Be sure to subscribe to the podcast so you don't miss future episodes. And remember our recipes. This <laughs> very intricate pieces of content that we work so hard at every week you can find them at twomarketgirls.com or we are two market girls on youtube on social all of the places and yeah comments likes shares all go a very long way in helping support your favorite food bloggers and we really appreciate it especially when we hear how much you guys enjoyed the recipes it makes mm-hmm. it all worth it yeah no it truly does honestly like the work sometimes can get frustrating and tiring but those comments at the end of the day when they're like oh my god i'm really i'm gonna try this or i tried it yesterday and it tastes so good and all this stuff makes us like reminds us why we do all of the little things that we do yes so thank you to those who do support us we do really appreciate it Mm-hmm. All right. That's all. That, that's Goodbye. all. Goodbye. Yeah. We're going <laughs> to go film more content. <laughs> uh, that's all we have time for today. <laughs> uh.